I think you all will agree with me when I say that politics is dirty business. And I know that you would agree with that. Um, we would like to think that people in high places and political office would have good motives for everything that they do. That they'd be looking out for the public interest, that they'd be doing things that will benefit everyone. But sadly, we know that's just not the case. And very often they are acting in selfish personal ways to, to advance their own cause. But that's not new. We may, we may be concerned that politics in our day and time is a dirty business, but that's nothing new. And even back in Bible times, we read about ugly practices that were engaged by kings and by others in authority. I'm, partic- I'm particularly thinking of an incident early in the days of the reign of King David, Saul had died, as you recall, the first king of Israel, uh, and his commander, uh, his right-hand man, Abner, was trying to keep an allegiance to the family of Saul, a, a surviving son of Saul. Abner was trying to promote him to be king over Israel. Uh, that was not going to happen. David was already the anointed king of Israel, God's chosen But Abner was sort of holding out that he could make this surviving son of Saul sit upon the throne. Joab was David's right-hand man and commander of his army. And Joab was not really a great, respectable person. And so a meeting was held between Joab, David's right-hand man, and Abner, who had been Saul's right-hand man. And the idea of it was that they could maybe affect peace and bring harmony to the nation. But instead of that, uh, Joab used the occasion to murder Abner. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 30, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner. And so that was the story. That's sort of the very basic skeletal uh, outline of how that all happened. But I want you to read what David did. David David was furious at what had occurred, and, and basically what we would call a state funeral was held for Abner. And David personally lamented Abner's death. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. It's an interesting story, and there's there's just significant history involved here. But we just want to take one phrase out of this storyline and build our lesson upon it this morning. Should Abner die as a fool dies? That's what David asked. His answer was, in this case, Abner had not. And he honored Abner in the, in the course of this funeral. But he asked the question, should Abner die as a fool dies? And we want to build our lesson today upon that expression. How does a fool die? What would it be like to die as a fool dies? We want to investigate that in our lesson this morning. Again, David's argument was that Abner had not died as a fool dies. But in our time, many people have and do die in that fashion. And we want to describe it in our study this morning. Let us stop here just briefly to extend words of welcome to those that have already been expressed. We're glad that you are here. 
I appreciate very much you coming out on this Lord's Day to engage in Bible study and worship. Uh, And we hope and pray that when you leave here today, everyone will be able to say, honestly say, it was good to be there. It was time well invested. Uh, That, of course, will be true if we are edified and encouraged uh, in spiritual things as we come together. It will also be true and primarily so if we are able to say we believe that God has been duly glorified by our worship to Him this morning. We're going to try very hard to do that. We think God is glorified when we worship Him and serve Him in strict compliance with the rules and commands set forth in His inspired Word. So we'll try very hard to be doing Bible things in Bible ways this morning. And that being the case, if you should have a question and ask, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that that way? We'll try our very best to give you a Bible answer for those kinds of questions. Thanks for being here this morning. Dying as a fool dies. What would, what would be some examples of that? Well, first of all, dying as a fool dies would be one who died in ungodliness. We know that we live in a very wicked world. And it seems like, I don't know if you would agree with this analysis, but it seems to me like people are dreaming up new ways to commit sin. I really think that in our technological age, uh, a lot has been developed to actually aid men in the sinning process. I don't know, I don't think there's any new categories of sin, but I think there are new ways to commit sin, and men are constantly scheming and trying to dream up ways to engage in sin. I want to suggest to you that pursuing a life like that is ultimate foolishness. Because what it accomplishes, of course, is just momentary gratification. You may get just a flash of pleasure out of that, pursuing that sort of thing, but that pleasure does not last. And, of course, we understand that it will bring eternal loss and ruin if you die in ungodliness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 8, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, as you read that list of sins that Paul is describing there, it almost sounds like he could be writing about our world today and the various sins that men engage. Of course, this is information nearly 2,000 years old, but notice how it still fits. People are living uh, in ungodliness, and they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, we read that familiar text that describes the works of the flesh. If you're living for the flesh, these are the kind of things that you do. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what we're suggesting is that if you're living this way, you're making an incredibly foolish choice. And if you die in that circumstance where you have just simply been pursuing ungodliness in your life, you will die as a fool dies. At the time of your death, if you've pursued these kind of things, at the time of your death, what will be the value of them? In other words, you pursued after the kind of things described in the couple of 
passages that we just looked at, and so now you reach the point of death, what will it have advantaged you? What good will it be? What advantage or, or benefit will you have gained? It would have been a foolish choice, right, to die in ungodliness. Let me suggest to you that dying as a fool would be descriptive of someone who dies while having lived solely for the present. Now, I would agree that this could be very similar to the previous point, but I want to make a little bit different application of here, living solely for the present. Here I want to focus on not necessarily evil deeds that might preoccupy a person's life. Here it might be things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but the person who's living solely for the present, he's just, he's just all about the material things of life. Money, the things that money can buy, things. And so he is preoccupied, he has lived solely for the present. He can make more money, he can buy more things, he can do more of the things that interest him because he has money, he lives simply for the present. That brings to mind the text that Kyle read for us earlier about the man, the rich man, it says his ground brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, notice, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so here God said to the rich farmer who had everything that he could want. He had, he had made such profit that he thought he could live on the, the material gain for years and years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said that's foolish. Because we don't know how long life will endure. And if we lay up treasure for self and are not rich toward God, we are foolish like this individual in the parable was foolish. So dying while living solely for the present is to die as a fool dies. Let me suggest to you that dying in a state of indifference is also foolish. Here I want to suggest to you the kind of people who sort of make a pretense of religious activity and practice. Uh, these are the kind of people, I, the ones I have in mind, and you probably know a number of people uh, in, your, in your work environments, in your school environments, in your community environments, your neighborhoods, people who are nominally religious. And by that, what I mean is that they may give an hour of their time on some Sunday mornings, not every Sunday morning, they don't, they don't get... They don't get so committed as to go every Sunday to church services, but they go maybe frequently and they invest an hour of their time on Sunday. But the rest of the week, they hardly ever even think about God. It's just not a central part of their life. They're indifferent mostly. It's not that they're against God. They're not, they're, they're not out there beating the drums of atheism. They believe in God. If you ask them, they would say yes. Uh, they believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. If you ask them, they'd say so. They believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and some of them would would say so if you ask them. Although they may not know, they might not know how to define what they believe about that. But in all, 
They don't think much about God. Uh, they seldom pray. They almost never read their Bibles. They give that hour on Sunday morning, some Sunday mornings. They're just pretty much indifferent. They're not antagonistic toward God. They're just pretty much indifferent. What about that? What, what would be the result of a life lived that way? And you die in that state. Well, remember what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, beginning verse 14. Unto the angel of the church at Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were in bad shape, weren't they? They were in really bad shape and didn't even realize it. And it was because of their religious indifference, their apathy. They were lukewarm. And I'll tell you, if you were to die in that lukewarm state, sort of indifferent to religious matters, the reality of the fact would be that you were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Are you interested in approaching judgment with those descriptives applied to you? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked? That would be a foolish thing to do. I think you will agree. And so for those who are sort of apathetic or indifferent, not really against God, but not committed for Him either, that would be to die as a fool dies. We could die as a fool dies by having never obeyed the gospel. Think about this for a minute. Dying having never obeyed the gospel. There are a lot of people who readily acknowledge, and I've had this experience, and my guess is that most of you have had this experience too, with someone who readily acknowledges that they need to obey the gospel. That simple gospel plan, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, they know that. They, they They could even themselves recite that plan, and they are... Willing to acknowledge, I know I need to do that. And in fact, they may even indicate that they have that intention. I'm going to. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to obey the gospel. But they postpone and they procrastinate and they stay in that unsaved condition. You think about this, uh, this would be almost like someone who, who has... Uh, a hole in the roof of their house. And they know that they have the hole in the roof of their house. They acknowledge there's a bad hole in the roof of my house. And when it rains, it it comes in through the house and it's doing damage in the house. And I know it's a bad situation. And I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm Sure enough, I am. I'm going to fix it. But they never get around to fixing it. That would, that, that's senseless, isn't it? That's, we would say that's foolish for a person to know that he's got that kind of serious deficiency in the roof of his house and he doesn't do anything about it. We'd say that's a foolish man who lets, it ling, lets a situation like that linger. And I want to argue that that's the situation of a person who would acknowledge, I know I need to obey the gospel, but they just haven't done so. In Matthew chapter 7, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount in our Sunday morning class here in the auditorium. At the conclusion of that, you know the very famous comparison of Jesus to the wise and foolish builder. 
We're focusing on foolish choices this morning. So what does he say about the foolish man? Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Uh, again, Jesus was a master uh, at drawing word pictures that everybody can see in their mind's eye. And you see this here. This man was foolish. He built his house upon the sand. It's not going to endure. It's not going to last. That's a foolish choice. But the foolishness that Jesus was wanting to illustrate was hearing but not doing the things that he said. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, beginning, Paul says, concerning the Romans, he said, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. You notice there was a choice there. There, was the, there were sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's the servants of sin and there's the servants of righteousness. As we've been saying, if you're the servant of sin, there's no value to that. There's, there's no benefit. It's a foolish choice to live your life serving sin Whereas the right choice is to be a servant of righteousness because it carries benefits now and carries benefits in eternity. Judgment's coming. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7, it says, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Go back to that guy who has a hole in his roof. He's got a hole in his roof, a big hole. And it's letting a lot of rainwater in, and it's doing a tremendous amount of damage to the rest of the structure of the house. He's got, he's got that hole in the roof, and he knows it. And he, he says, it's bad. I know it. I, gotta get, I have got to get up there on the roof and fix that hole in my roof. And he keeps saying that, and he never does it. I think it's going to rain tomorrow. It's supposed to rain a lot tomorrow. He knows that that's coming. He knows the rain is coming. And he still doesn't get up on the roof and fix the hole in his roof. What's wrong with that guy anyway? He's, he's really acting foolishly about that hole in his roof when he knows he needs to fix it and he doesn't. Why well, is that substantially different in any way from the guy who knows that the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven? The Lord's coming in judgment. And you know that that is the case. And you know that punishment awaits those who have not obeyed the gospel. But you continue in that state if you die in that state. Would you agree with me that that is perfectly fitting to the phrase that we're discussing this morning? To die as a fool dies, having never obeyed the gospel. Finally, to die in an unfaithful state. So here we were talking about someone who has never become a Christian. But finally, we want to describe someone who has become a Christian, but falls away and ends up dying in an unfaithful state. This is foolishness as well. Uh, they were wise when they obeyed the gospel, but now they have foolishly fallen away. In Galatians Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul addresses the foolish Galatians. There's our word. 
O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now, remember, he was addressing Christians, right? He was addressing Christians, but he says that they were foolish because they had allowed false teachers to come in and take them away from the truth. They had fallen from faithfulness. And Paul actually uses that description of them. Oh, foolish Galatians. We would be foolish to allow anything to take us away from faithfully serving. Second Peter 2, verse 20, you know this passage well. What a picture. Second Peter 2, beginning verse 20. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, that's wise, right? It's wise to escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But then... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Again, a word picture that's pretty graphic there and easy to imagine. Here's very much describing someone who wisely did the right thing first and then foolishly went back into the mire. It's just a a sad, foolish decision to make. And so, here's this expression. David used this expression in the sort of state funeral of Abner. Talked about someone who might die as a fool dies. Well, that's worth thinking about, because it's a possibility that we could end up in that situation. And there's several different ways that that could happen, and we've tried to illustrate them in our lesson this morning. Now think about this. You know that death and judgment are coming. With the exception of those who are alive when the Lord returns, all of us are going to die. We don't know when the Lord's going to return, but we know we're all going to die. Short of that, we know we're all going to die. Death and judgment are coming. You have an appointment. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So you have an appointment. I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to avoid this outcome. You have an appointment with death and judgment. The, the question is not, will it happen? The question is, how are you going to meet it? How are you going to meet that appointment? Are you going to meet it in an unprepared way? Are you going to meet it foolishly or wisely? Are you going to die as a wise individual or are you going to die as a fool dies? That question is up to you. What's your situation this morning? Are you prepared for what is coming? If not, we would urge you to make that decision. If you're not yet a Christian, obey that simple gospel plan. As we said earlier, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in your obedience, we'd be anxious to do it. If we can study with you more, we'd be anxious to do that. Let us know how we can help. On the other hand, if you're a Christian already, you made that wise choice to obey the gospel, but now you foolishly slip back into the sins of the world. We urge you, come back out of that. Come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.